Okay, so we're live with Bob Smith of Signals. We're going to be talking with him today about the master course that he has, and we're also going to be talking about some of our shared history together. Welcome, Bob. Hey, welcome, Jake. Uh, glad to glad to see you here. And uh, as per usual, I want to thank you for having brought me on the podcast. And uh, let's get started, man. Fantastic, fantastic. So, um, I remember we both went to Prague together and we, we went to all the, like we went to the gravestone of Franz Bard and Opava. Um, we, we went through the cobblestone streets where and in, in the underground caves where some of these Czech alchemists went to in, in the 1600s, 1700s. And we went to places where they did ceremonial magic and they even had the elements painted. Um, and there's all these elaborate, wonderful things. Um, can you do you recount some of our experiences together? Yeah, the uh, the you know the the trip to Prague was awesome. Um, and, you know, we were there with a third unnamed student who who prefers to remain private. But uh, it was interesting to see Western Hermetics essentially in its natural background. Um, you know, the Czech Republic's pretty interesting, very magical place, great for practice, but the locals don't really want to hear about it. You know, so if you mention hermetics or alchemy or any of this kind of stuff, all of a sudden you get this, you know, whole hand kind of thing going on where they don't really want to have anything to do with you. And, you know, given the history of the Czech Republic and the people that live there, considering how shabbily they've been treated by their neighbors, probably not terribly surprising. You know, I've attempted to reach out a few times to people in that area and generally just not gotten much of a response. Now, I don't know how much of that is language. You know, my German's not great. My Czech's basically non-existent. And so I'm sure that's part of it. But it's important to keep in real to, to realize that between the Inquisition and when one and what went on in World War II, a lot of these local practitioners were actively hunted by the authorities. And while that's certainly not the case today. The historical memory of those kinds of events, you can't really, you can't undervalue. It's going to have an effect on people. And, you know, honestly, I would just like to meet someone who studied with Franz Barden. You know, that person would probably be in their 70s, 80s, or 90s now. But it would be interesting to see what part of that group remains a part of a living tradition you know, versus something that we just kind of loosely learn about in books. Um, now, the trip to Franz Barden's grave in Opava was interesting because you can't look it up on Google. Um, so basically, the group ended up using pictures from some of Martin Fox's visits and then got on the internet and looked at local graveyards. Uh, what I can tell people who want to make that trip is well worth making. Um there are some offerings to Franz Barden at his gravesite, so bring a crystal or a stone to swap out with one that's already there. Uh, but the best way to do it is to look at graveyards in Opava, bounce it off pictures Martin has up of those areas, and you'll find it. The graveyard Franz Barden is in is a very small place, uh, so you can see both ends of it just looking in from the outside. It's not one of the larger ones. Um the other interesting thing is just the reaction of the Czechs themselves to foreigners. Yeah. You know, if if you're in the capital, Prague, 
no big deal. Foreigners all over the place, big tourism spot, who cares? But once you get outside of that into rural Czech Republic or Czechia, as it's called these days, um, it's kind of funny. Uh, I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of West Virginia, where it's like, okay, we'll take your money, but we don't really want you here. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, they, 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 there's a funny story where a couple members of the group, we were looking for a hotel room one night. Yeah. Okay. Now, this is in the middle of COVID, so there's not a whole lot of people moving around anyway. And um, basically, they showed up at this one small hotel, and they were like, yeah, get out of here. We're like, hey, we just need a room. It's like... Yeah, rooms. Yeah, we have rooms, but not for you. Just leave. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, do I smell something? What's going on here? Yeah. Um, so that was that was one of the funnier aspects. There. Again, if you're going to make the trip to Opava and to the site of uh, Franz Barden's burial, well worth doing. Like I said, bring a small offering of a stone or something or a crystal to exchange, and you'll see a bunch of them literally right on top of his of, of, of his gravesite. So good, good times. Good times. I remember distinctly uh, one, one of the running jokes was, hey, did he, didn't she read the sign in Czech that no foreigners were wanted? Didn't she read it in Czech? Yes. It's very clear. We don't want you here. It's in China. It's right here. Now, it, it's kind of like the joke we had about the Czech uh, comedy club oh, yeah. where, where you pay your money, you go and you sit down and the waiter starts yelling at you going, there is no comedy in Czech Republic. Get out. You know, <laughs> I'm sure that's insulting to somebody, but it was, yeah. it's kind of the vibe we got. Yeah, um, yeah. There's gently teasing, you know. <laughs> of course. Of yeah. course. Um, so, yeah, no, uh, the alchemical stuff was interesting. Uh, you know, it's most people don't know this, but spagyrics as a medical treatment protocol is a living thing in Germany and the Czech Republic. Uh, they're actually spagyric factories in both places. In Germany, it's a bit more accessible. So Robert Bartlett, you know, probably the premier well-known living alchemist in North America, certainly amongst Americans, um, has gone to Germany several times and they're like, yeah, you're good. You know, they, they, they like him. The Czech stuff is there and you can even wander into some places where they're actively making these things to order. But again, unless you speak Czech, mm. You can't really interact with the people that do that kind of work. Uh, it's it's interesting. Yeah, uh, there's that monastery you went to with the that had a, next, a cathedral site next to it with a few saint relics as well. Yeah, that place was amazing, and it had been a factory of sorts. I don't know if that's the right word for it for spagyric production for a couple hundred years. Uh, but the place where they did that on site, you weren't allowed to go into, I guess there was some kind of construction going on. And when we asked them about, Hey, you know, we, we want to buy some of this stuff. Who do we talk to? And they're like, Oh yeah, that's made by a factory in like another town somewhere. Uh, so they weren't even actively producing those things on site anymore. Mm. Um, when you get into the countryside, the, degree of destruction that came about as a result of the Soviet occupation of the Czech Republic really becomes apparent. Mm. You know, while this was certainly a hotbed of alchemical and magical practice hundreds of years ago, um, they had a pretty hard time, you know, d during the occupation. And so 
a lot of that stuff for a foreigner is not terribly accessible. And uh, Czech language is one of the most complicated in the world. There's over 200 ways to conjugate a noun. Mm. It's not really a language most people can successfully learn as an adult. And so that makes engaging with locals, if they're not used to dealing with foreigners, a little more complicated. Um, But yeah, it's uh, in terms of the historical aspect of things and different places you can go visit where they were actively making, you know, these kinds of uh, magical compounds. It's certainly there. And uh, we had a great tour, one of the better known places in downtown Prague, where, yeah, you walk into it, it's this, it was this underground hidden spagyric alchemical production facility. They had a huge ritual magic area right in the center of it with the pentagrams and the signs of the elements carved into the wall. It was amazing. Um, so well worth visiting from an historical perspective. Um, if you're going to go there to meet people who are into this kind of thing, uh, you're probably going to have to do your homework for a while. Um, and the European practitioners in general tend to be a little standoffish again, largely because of their history. This is very understandable, but the vows of secrecy are very much in effect with those people. Um, I've had a few students over the years who came from Germany or other places in Europe. And, you know, basically they came to me because I said, listen, I'm not getting adequate training from the people who were around me. But when I tried to talk to them about who that was exactly, you know, because I'm curious and I want to reach out to people. Yeah. That was just not on the table. That was not something they were willing to discuss. So yeah, I recently had a, a student message me too. It was like, Hey, I'm learning how to do invocation and you know, this it's similar to what we've done here, but I'm not allowed to disclose a name and this, but I'm, I'm, but I'm not getting where I want to with, with, with the practice. And I'm like, oh, okay, could you tell me a little bit more about the, what you were doing? So I know how I can best serve you. Just, well, I can't really s- disclose it, but it's very similar to what you're doing. I'm like, oh, okay. You know. Right. I mean, you know, on the one hand, it's important to keep in mind and i'm a bit of a controversial figure in you know western hermetics because i'm very clear i don't own this it right. isn't something i created yeah point of fact what we're doing is old as dirt and may even predate our being fully human beings for all right. i know uh you know off of field work i did in anatolia in egypt uh with one of my other students the energetic signatures from the Kabbalistic letters, the oldest of the Egyptian artifacts and the oldest of the available um, Phoenician artifacts are exactly the same. So this indicates that there's a shared technology there. Mm. Um, And it's a nice reinforcement that the efforts that I'm making are, are correct in terms of that. But again, listen, you know, as the Dead Sea Scrolls very clearly indicate, if something's more than 2,000 years old and it was a written medium, unless it was done in metal or on a clay tablet, it just doesn't survive. Mm. You know, when you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, you see pictures of these things. You know, they're using lasers and x-rays to see what's actually written on them because if they tried to unroll them, it would just be turned into dust. Yeah. And that's something that was stored under basically the absolute perfect survival conditions in a cage in a cave, low humidity, middle of nowhere. 
So anything other than that, you know, you're going to get a translation of a translation or a written copy of a written copy of a written copy if you're lucky. So the truth of the matter is we don't really know how far back in history this stuff truly goes. Yeah. Um, it does seem to be a bit of a universal technology, which is great. Uh, we seem to have figured out the method, which is awesome. But exactly where it came from, hard to say. I mean, I can say since publishing my book on initial experiences of the Kabbalah, I've been contacted by about half a dozen or so people from completely unrelated lineages out of India and other places who were, who were explicit. They said, this is our method. You just described what we're doing. Mm. So how much of this is technology, which is universal, or ritual, which can be highly specific to ethno-linguistic, you know, historical groups. That's unclear. I don't know an answer to that, and I don't think anyone else does either. The biggest problem with historical research on this stuff is the academics are very good at being academics. The academics are generally not practitioners, or they're not very accomplished practitioners. And so that creates other problems because a lot of times they don't really understand what they're looking at from a end user magician type perspective, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Hmm. So then uh, what do you think is the chief thing that uh, people can do to, to get started in hermetics, regardless of their, their background? Like there's, like you mentioned, like, the, the the methods like at the at the top end of her, of hermetics like you know Kabbalah and spirit magic like these are all these are systems that are done in all the most esoteric systems but this just happens to be a really universal accessible one that is mechanical in principle and that has repeatable repeatable re- replicable steps and takes takes as much baggage cultural baggage and other things out, out of it as possible like how how can someone get started. Well, you know, obviously, gratuitous plug, there's the 60 skills curriculum. You know, there's my teacher, Mark Rasmus. He's fantastic. You have your approach to it. Uh, you know, Andre Conscientia just released a series of books on uh, how planets and Kabbalah fit together. Great. Um, if you're interested in spirit magic, there's the works of Nanan Tollerman. Again, fantastic. He's slowly detailing all the entities contained in Barden's second book on evocation. But in terms of learning the techniques, yes, in theory, you can get a copy of Initiation into Hermetics, the book, even free online as a PDF. Don't ask me about copyright piracy. I'm not a huge fan of that. Or you can buy one for about 20 bucks. The problem is, from what I've gathered, the books were really written as reminders or notes to students you already had. So this makes deciphering how to perform some of the techniques really hard. And keep in mind, listen, I've met a few people over the years who worked through the books all on their own. More power to them. Congratulations. But for every person like that that I've met, I've met dozens who tried and couldn't figure it out. Even myself, coming from a tantric Buddhist hybrid Taoist background, I tried reading Barden's books a couple of times didn't get anywhere with it. 
until I studied with Mark and he just sat me down and said, do you feel this? This is this. This is how these things fit together. This is a technique for doing them. Keep in mind, there's at least half a dozen different ways to perform any technique in initiation into hermetics. I personally, and Mark as well, largely use a clairsentience-based system that leverages uh, active visualization. That's a way of doing that. From what I've gathered, Andre Conscientia uses a much more musical system, which is great. So for artists out there, I'm sure his system works good too. But the main thing is, what I've found amongst most successful practitioners is they studied with somebody. Mm. And... Again, just having another person who speaks your language fluently, who can sit down and go, do this. All right, what happened? Okay, nope, do this a little differently, or this is how it fits together with the next step, is invaluable. Most people, if they walk up to you and said, yeah, I just bought a car. I don't know how to drive it, but I'm going to figure it out from a book without taking driving lessons, you'd think they're insane. Absolutely. What the hell are you, what are you, are you crazy? And again, some people will be able to figure out how to drive that way. Other people are going to wreck the car and maybe get themselves killed. So when you're using your body and your nervous system and your energetic system and your emotions and all of this other stuff as the working medium, the idea that you don't want to get training from someone else just seems a little, a little crazy to me. I mean, yeah, I can throw a kid in a lake and he'll probably figure out how to swim well enough not to drown, but he's never going to learn how to be a competitive swimmer on his own. Right. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> you know? And so the good news about the internet is now there are people available. You know, if you're into distance learning, my stuff is great if, or your stuff as well. Um, you know, and if you want to go in person, Mark Rasmus has the premier long stay individual teaching and group teaching apparatus available. Um, so there are options now and, uh, hopefully we can grow that a bit because again, as I often say, I'm just me. I can only teach from the perspective I personally know, mm. but there are a lot of different ways to do this. And so maybe you just need to find the right person who can talk to you the way you want to. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and where, where's the best place that, that people can reach out to you? Like, like an email or through YouTube, through Facebook, through person? Um, well, you know, I have the Facebook groups, 60 skills, um, and pages. Uh, there's the 60 skills.com website. All the coursework is available on Perseus Arcane Academy. And if you, join those courses, you get access to a discord server where you could meet other people, you know, do that thing called making friends and mm -hmm. uh, compare notes and ask questions. And I'm not always the fastest to get there, but there's a pretty big question bank on most of the steps at this point that can answer most of the questions people have. And again, once you got a little bit of training and you know what you're doing, I really encourage people to practice with other people. Because my students continually surprise me with the things they figure out. Again, I'm just me. I only know what I know. But, man, 
some of my students have made really good progress really quickly. You know, one in particular has done in a little over four years, which something that took me 30, mm. just because the clarity of instruction that I traditionally had wasn't that great. So, you know, that's how you can learn about all of these things. But what I would say is that when you're dealing with magic, all right, or meditation, call it what you will, it tends to fall in one of two categories. Here are either talking internal power methods, which is the Franz Barden system or hermetics that I practice, and there are ritual systems. Ritual systems work much faster, but it's borrowed power, and the energetic signatures around that tend to change the way people perceive the world. That's not bad, it's just how it works. Additionally, the training itself really initially falls in one of three categories. It's either body training, where you're training the physical body. Mm -hmm. You learn how to work with sensation, what some people call the astral, that emotion, sensation kind of thing, active visualization. And then the mental level of existence, where you learn how to focus and relax. Mm. And that makes up probably... 90 plus percent of the non-ritual work that's available out there. Um, and when you do it right, it works pretty well. Those three things, the physical, the sensation, and the mental all feed back into each other. And you can make really good progress really quickly that way. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much for being on the air. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Awesome, man. Take care. Thank you. Meaning, 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 meaning.